forever. Dog. We're here with B.D. McClay, writer and editor, um, and we're here for another bonus bonus episode, my my returning bonus episode, partner in crime. <laughs> um, so, and we're gonna we're gonna talk some we're gonna talk some shit about some some things. I think yeah. um, so. This is pretty exciting. This is this is what I bring you here for, and I appreciate that it's about my, you. My niche. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so we were kind of talking about well, well, I was complaining. I was complaining about a series of books that have come out, or just multiple books that have come out recently that are essentially the exact same storyline, um, which is these, I think, pretty well reviewed and some more popular than others, but well received novels by young women writers about younger women and the relationships with older men. Um, and I'm a little bit disturbed about the fact that we're just compulsively retelling men's stories now from women's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Angela Carter did that shit for us <laughs> so nobody else would have to. Um, but apparently, apparently we still feel compelled to do it. Right. Uh, but you liked one of them, which I yeah. did not like. Yeah, I liked Conversations with Friends quite a bit. Um, and actually, I think I've read it three times. So I think oh. my my opinion of it is pretty solidified. But I will say part of what I did like about it was that I didn't think that the love story with Nick was the focus of the book. Like mm-hmm. a lot of it seemed to be about her friendship with her ex-girlfriend and her kind of weird depression and self-alienation and so on. Um, So he almost seemed like a sideshow or like one aspect of a much more complicated plot, which was what I liked about it was that it wasn't kind of like this story just about, you know, younger woman, older man, train wreck. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. The other two novels, the, um, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. Uh, Hermione Hobie, I guess. I, I, uh, mm-hmm. The Neon in Daylight and then the Lisa Halliday Asymmetry um, are much more sort of focused on the the man and yeah. woman relationship. Um, but still there was something about conversations with friends that I couldn't really Yeah, no, I mean, um, I was surprised at how much I liked it because every time I describe it to people, I'm like, this is a book that I hate, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, I really, but I, I would enjoy also listening to you talk about what you hate about it. It's funny because I, I feel like everybody I've talked to really loves it. it. Makes me think that was I just like in a bad mood when I was reading it or I'm not sure what it was. Um, if I'm totally confident in my assessment that it, that it's not great other than just there was something personally that I didn't like about it, which I think was just, I don't know, like this kind of, um, it kind of weirdly reminded me of Tao Lin, but without Tao Lin's panache. 
mm-hmm. which I think is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Because I'm also, I think, the only person who still likes Taolin. But um, uh, there was something in the flatness of it that felt performative and not earned. The Just the prose felt to me kind of dead on the page. And, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't really finding anything to feel excited about in any way. Yeah, I mean, when I first read it, the flat affect was my biggest hesitation in recommending it to people because it's like, well, either this sounds right to you or it's just gonna be nails on a chalkboard. There's not like a a middle ground there. Um, The other thing I did like about it, I wish I could compare it with the other books, but I am just not interested in asymmetry. Yeah. is that uh, there's this whole sort of ambient political conversation going on in the book, which is never very deep, but in particular, the way that she talks to her friend, which the way that people who are smart and at a certain age, and also I think past that age, like only express emotional problems through kind of like abstract reasoning. Mm -hmm. So there's some moment where she wants to tell her friend that she misses her and instead she asks her some question about the morality of monogamy or something. Mm -hmm. And like that's... (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I do actually, (laughs) how I approach Um, my friends. Yeah, and and that like I just have known so many people like that. It was kind of nice to see it really nailed in the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean the flat. Okay, I, I do want to talk a little bit more yeah. about the sort of flatness of the Rooney, um, because I feel like it's. Um, I don't know. There, it, it seems like there are two weirdly dominant prose styles, and mm-hmm. it's either this sort of hyper MFA. Um, um what am i like self um uh observing that's not the right word but uh self uh shit aware yes self aware of like i am fucking killing it with this sentence yeah, right yeah, now yeah. that shit or there's this kind of um flat which is also a performance um and i feel like taolin is the only person to get that right mm-hmm. um because it, he turns it into something just clearly autistic. Um, but then also sort of, you know, with the with the sort of how we communicate with technology. God, now I'm sounding like an asshole. But um, there's something about it that, that, that meshes well with what he's writing about and everything. And, mm-hmm. and with the particularly Ro- the Rooney book, it felt, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, like it was something she was she was trying out, um, right? And it and it didn't feel genuine to the mm-hmm. just didn't work for me. Yeah, but I do feel like this is a new sort of style that's emerging, and I want I want to stop it. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> definitely. Um, I mean, I have not read Taolin. Um, I think he published the sort of the Adrian Brody story, right? By Marie Calloway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the closest thing to that style. Of the, anyway, that's what yeah. I can remember reading. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I usually find the flatness very irritating because it's usually a way of sort of 
So, well, actually, texture and character and so on and all that, that actually all matters is sort of why I'm reading. So unless yeah. the flatness is an aspect of that, I don't really want to read this book. Yeah. Because it no feels like you're avoiding writing something. Yeah. I, I actually do enjoy the pleasure of a of a... Of, of some prose, you know, yeah. I, I enjoy a flourish now and then. I don't yeah. want it to get totally out of control. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm reading this kind of mid cent or late uh, 20th century Italian anarchist novelist <laughs> at the moment. And, and the way she just like, you know, it's just so sensual and so over the top. And I'm like, this is what I've been missing. <laughs> like, not in an MFA way, but just like in this, you know, this grand, you know, she's really interested in the frock that her character's putting on and, you know, that right. kind of stuff. And I, I do, I do kind of miss that. Um, yeah. And I was reading this galley, different Irish novel called The Orchid and the Wasp um, on the train. I'm not, it's not working for me, but it's, mm -hmm. it's at the other end of the spectrum where like there's one moment where the, the sort of close third person, narrator character is looking at her brother's children who are playing in a bath and it's a something like if his love were bath bubbles they would like throw them around because there would be enough of it to waste and you could make a mess with it and even urinate in it what <laughs> it's much more florid than that uh, <laughs> but the urinating thing was in there and sure, it was just like yeah. um like well i see but this, the, like, this is this is also fake. Like, it's kind of it's very self conscious, um, and it's not. I don't know. It's not like holistic or something. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like that's the problem with an affected flatness or this kind of free floating description. Um, or it's like you know, if it's about somebody's dress, it's kind of telling you something about her. It's like opening up a world of some kind. Yeah. Um, but if it's just like, I, I'm bored and affectless because I live in modernity and yeah, uh, I mean, who is a, who was the first, there was some critic who was the first to kind of point out that you could tell if somebody was, had gone to an MFA just based on the first sentence of a book that it was like this kind of <laughs> hyper, like look at me kind of thing. Uh -huh. I was like, I'm going to give you all the information right at this first sentence to try to. Interesting. Get, yeah. But I, I, ever since I read that and I can't remember who said it first, um, uh, I, I do, I read the first sentence of, of so many of these MFA novels, like the asymmetry mm -hmm. is, I can't, I can't, I don't have the book on me, so I can't quote it now, but it had that kind of that first, that opening was just like, yikes lady, save some of it for later. Like anyway, so. <laughs> But more than the prose, it's the um, it's the story that that irritates me. This right. idea of just retelling um, stories that men used to tell, just from the female perspective. Mm -hmm. I just feel like this is a um, uh, this is what we're a lot of people are wasting their time doing now. Mm -hmm. Like like a lot of people <laughs> are wasting their time doing this now. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I read um. Right after I read Conversations with Friends, I read Other Men's Daughters by Richard Stern, which is, mm -mm. it is a old married guy, beautiful young student, you know, mm -hmm. 
then he leaves his wife for her and so on and it's sure. just like yeah. they're very happy and i was it was just kind of like well i can see why you i mean he that's not how conversations with friends ends no spoilers for anyone <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's like you know it it is kind of you can look at the story one way, you can look at it another way. I guess you can write the story from the wife's perspective too, which has also been done. Yeah. But but that's I mean there was that whole genre like in the 90s and then at the turn of the century with like Ahab's wife, I remember oh, like yeah. retelling Ma- Moby Dick from the wife's perspective. Yeah. And there were a lot of that like in the the voiceless female characters and in, in various There was things. also that book recently that was supposed to be Daniel Deronda from the main female character's perspective even though half of Daniel Deronda is already What's from the her point of that. Why do that? <laughs> that is the weirdest that is the I weirdest thing to decide to do. Gwendolyn. I, I oh, remember. God. Um now I'm flustered. Um, I understand the impulse. I understand like sort of reading um, any novel from, you know, more than that's more than 10 years old by a dude um, and being like, well, what about what about this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding the seeing the context that the male dude writer is existing and that he doesn't see and all that. But I just think that we have other things that we could be doing with our time. Yeah. Um, and, oh, well, you know, I don't know how you feel about the wide Sargasso Sea, but I fucking hate that book. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that's enough of an argument to never do a project like that ever again. Yeah. The, that's actually the, well, no, it's not the only book by by Reese that I haven't read, but I sort of deliberately didn't read it because it's racist as shit. Like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't. I mean, she was, yeah. Um, so that's not too. I also just I think Jane Eyre, like I did read it at a formative age, and it's the one thing I actually have a kind of lizard brain attachment to, where I sure I can actually understand the way that like nerds get mad online about. <laughs> like movies that change things because that that it's like the one thing that does that for me so i just have this kind of hostility (laughs) um but yeah i mean a lot of these i mean i think that the the review that introduced me to this weird george Eliot book what began with i blame gene reese like everyone wants to to do the ultimate deconstruction of whatever do um Emma from the point of view of her stupid friend that she keeps on trying to set up with people, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but why? I mean, you know, I guess, well, what's the difference between that and like fanfic online, I guess? I guess in the the level, at the level that you do it, but at the same time, you know, if I write a Supernatural episode and post it on my blog (laughs) from the, you know, from the perspective of uh, any any of the sort of mistreated ladies on that show mm-hmm. um i uh you know i would i would rightfully feel ashamed of myself i think and, and yeah know that i'm wasting my time that could be spent elsewhere yeah i mean i think i'm trying to think i can think of a couple of reasons why people might spend their time doing this one is something like you writer of this thing happen to love 
I guess in the case of asymmetry, like Philip Roth stuff or, um, or like you love some canonical work, but you also think, oh, this is problematic. So I can like fix it or give myself an excuse to inhabit it for a long time mm-hmm. um, by pretending that I'm like sending it up in some way. That seems like one. Um, I think also, I mean, like right now is kind of this big, it's not just canonical works or certain types of like uh, archetypal is not the word I want, but kind of like old man, young woman, Mm -hmm. affair type stories that you'd see over and over again. Um, But like everything is a reboot or a remake or something. There's a real inability to think of a new story. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because that's part of it is is also like I think it's easy then to get attention because it's um, a story everybody is familiar with. And it's like, oh, how how cunning (laughs) to tell it from that particular perspective instead. And so it's just an easy way to sort of get your name out there, get your name associated with a writer who's better than you by doing this. Yeah. Um, Even if you know, uh, the attempt is, is, uh, lackluster or, or just bizarre. Um, like as we're talking, I keep thinking about these books that, that have, um, come out over the years of like the wind done gone and the Ahab's wife. And then, you know, like, uh, all those novels about ladies from the Bible that didn't get their stories fleshed out. (laughs) Um, and the red tent. I the remember red that tent, one. Yeah. Yes. And which was a sensation for no fucking reason that I can figure out. But it's just like this. It's just easy. It's easy to um, you don't have to come up with something sort of original and um, iconic on your own. It's easy to just associate yourself with an icon instead. Yeah. And also, I think you kind of you associate yourself with the icon, but you also don't have to worry about being a part of its tradition in some way. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, I think this is easier for me when I think about novels about people from the Bible that are supposed to be like, except I didn't read any of them. So I'm sort of talking out of my hat here, but like, whatever. Um, But like, you know, you're like, ah, here are the women in the tent. Everything's patriarchal, but like, here they are surviving. And you don't like have to, you're not trying to enter into any kind of tradition of literature here, even though you're sort of being parasitic on mm. it in some way. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Oh, there was some. Oh, yeah. Maybe my my first book should be Great Expectations from the Perspective of Miss Havisham. That'll be how I. Surely somebody's done that. <laughs> I'm positive that somebody surely, has. <laughs> surely. Um, uh, and I also, I love, I like, I love her as a character. Oh, sure, yeah, she's wonderful. But, yeah, but I also don't want to read a novel about no her. about sad spinster crazy yeah. lady in the attic with a cake. No, yeah, no, that's not that's not a good look. Though, if you do the math, when he meets her, she's like thirty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when I was reading it. Really? <laughs> She's in like her late 30s or early 40s. Oh, wasting She's, away. Yeah. She's not Old spinster old. lady in the attic. Um, Great. Yeah. Great. 
But yeah, no, I don't I don't want I don't want to read that. I mean, I can read Great Expectations and understand and think about yeah. that. But I don't want somebody to spend five years of their life or however long it takes to write a novel. I don't know. I've never yeah. written a novel. Um, doing doing that work. Yeah. Because what does it ultimately do? It's it like point out what we already know, which is that she's fine. Like, <laughs> we understand that he was trying to make a fucking point and he used a, a stereotype about women in order to do it. But we all know that. So it's yeah. fine to say that like in a tweet and then move, move on. on. Yeah. 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 Another thought. Do people have problems with plots now? Yes. Because that seems like another reason like you yes. inhabit another book because it gives you the plot. You don't have to. Yes. Um, um, yeah. I mean, which is why now every movie is just the man thing with the ladies now it's yeah. just like um i've not seen oceans eight i've not seen the women ghostbusters i've not seen i don't know there are others right i don't know but um well there's stuff like uh oh there was amanda has had an article about this there's one that's like some campus movie but melissa mccarthy is the guy oh right Okay. I don't know. That but there, there, there were she had three in the article about flipping it and that was one of them. It's a Rodney Dangerfield movie. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't remember what it's called. Okay. Um yeah, so it just seems like this is part of I could understand it in the second wave project, right? Mm -hmm. Of consciousness conscious raising work. Um, right. I think it's the same thing um, that had to be done as had to be done in conscious raising groups uh, of just like, look, just see it, just look and see it. And then, but I feel like we wasted a lot of feminine talent, um, like Angela Carter telling mm -hmm. fairy tales, like, forever just do two and then move the fuck on and margaret drabble was doing some of this stuff um mm -hmm. i feel like um i'm not interested in retelling uh men's work from a different perspective i want new stories yeah i want not a woman being the dashing knight, I want something where there's no fucking knight, where right. there's no war <laughs> and there's no hero um, and there's no maiden who is saved. Um, mm -hmm. I want I want a different story and no one is giving it to me. And, I, and as a result, I have a lot of anger. That's all I'm trying to say right now. Yeah. Well, I do not think... Yeah, this this Irish novel I'm reading net now will not help. <laughs> it's not gonna do it for me. <laughs> uh, but that is like a segue. Or um, this is the second novel I've read this year. That's basically follows this plot, which is extremely poor girl comes into contact with wealth in some way. Like either she was in this book, she was born wealthy, and then her father. I guess lost some wealth and left the family or something. And so like she had the taste or whatever. And mm -hmm. they become extremely adept at looking rich and manipulating people um, and sort of climb up 
murdering people or whatever as they go if they have to. Um, And I think there's something about this story that's supposed to be like, whoa, shocking. Or like, (laughs) um, aren't we all sociopathic manipulators in our own way? Like that's the other kind of, like the, the opening of this book uh, is the girl in like sixth grade teaching her classmates to deflower themselves. And she's all like, you'll do this for yourself and there will be some like blood and pain and then it will be fine. And then you can fake it every time you have sex with somebody for the first time. And Mm. you'll be the winner because you'll realize that it was always fake. That's like the kind of, this is like reiterated a million times in the next 50 pages. Like she wears bras and fills them with fake padding and it's all like boys only care about the appearance not the reality (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, but I think like there's this thing with these books and then also um, I was watching the recent miniseries Killing Eve which has the same kind of hyper feminine very wealthy uh, female killer sociopath um and yeah, I think there's they're supposed to be sort of like provocative and envelope pushing in certain ways yeah. and like maybe raise questions like again, are we all sociopaths or is is femininity essentially sociopathic or something? Uh Jesus. but like I just get bored. I get really, really bored. Um in literature very quickly because I don't I see no point in reading a novel about a person who sort of by definition has no interior life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And TV, I mean, like Killing Eve, it's like, oh, this actress is very pretty and she has like a very flexible face and her clothes are good. So I'm entertained for longer. But at a certain point, I realize there's nothing this person can do that will really surprise me because I know that she's just always going to do the most violent thing. Mm hmm. And so I'm supposed to always be on my edge, but I'm not because she doesn't really have any discernible human motivation. So she'll just do the inhuman thing in any given scenario. And that will be what happens. I think the other disappointing thing about this is that I thought we were done with the sociopath as the interesting protagonist. Like mm-hmm. I thought we had finally, once <laughs> Hannibal was canceled, like I thought we finally just got that out of our system right. and we were going to move. But now, no, it now it's just the ladies are the sociopaths. Right, and we're going to yeah. have another 18 years of this shit. Um, just from the, from the, um, with the woman as a sociopath instead. I mean, the Killing Eve thing, you know, she has that, um, I think it was in the first episode where she's, the uh, Sandra O oh character is uh, obsessed with the idea of uh, female assassins as if there's something unique about um, a woman murderer, which then didn't really go anywhere. I no. thought that was actually interesting, an interesting idea. Is there anything different no it just turns out no they're just as crazy and empty as as men are right um which is not i mean maybe is true right probably is true i mean at the end when she kind of confronts villanelle about like what she's doing um 
I uh, I like having a satisfying job that pays me well. That's just like all that she says. So it's just like lean in feminism with lean into your hitman job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think could work for me if the show were straight comedy, and but Killing Eve is not that. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of genuinely sincere sad moments and so on yeah um but yeah i guess i just mostly it's like well okay we're obviously surrounded by people who do bad things male and female Mm -hmm. um some of them quite highly placed and prominent and so on and there it's simply not possible even in the broadest and most colloquial sense that all of these people are sociopaths you know like (laughs) Uh, most of them are going to be people with actual internal lives and some amount of reasoning and motivation and so on. But it's like the only way we know. It's not really that I want to spend a lot of time exploring like what it's like to be, I don't know, a border patrol agent who routinely separates children and parents. Right. But I know that person's not a sociopath. Um. And so when I'm like presented with something that's supposed to be an exploration of evil or an exploration of what people will do to get ahead. Yeah. And the person is also made deliberately incomprehensible. It's like, what am I supposed to, what do I get from this? Yeah. I, I was, I, I was, so I was writing about this book, the, the, um, a perfect nanny, which was a sensation, um, and international bestseller and won the Goncourt in France and was just, you know, the most important shit that's ever happened. And I thought it was awful. And one of the reasons I found it awful was because the nanny becomes a sociopath. So it's based on this real life case that just uh, finished up in New York where a, a Dominican woman who was working as a nanny murdered the two children in her care and um the way that the, that the french writer i think slimani or something um fictionalized this character i thought was incredibly telling because everything that be, was sympathetic about her was removed so or everything that made her more um uh complex was removed from the equation so instead of being um an immigrant and brown, she was a white woman. And instead of being um, someone who essentially was so desperate for work that she faked references, she be she was a lifelong caretaker of children. Um, and uh, all these other things were were just were just shifted in a way to make her um, a, a sociopath or a psychopath or to to have no sort of sociological context to uh, what had happened to her. Um, everything th- that was wrong in her life was her fault. She had no life a- outside of this family. Um, whereas in the, in the real life, she had a, a son who lived with her. She had family obligations that uh, she felt like her employment and her very demanding bosses were keeping her away from. Um, so everything about that was just removed until she was this smooth blank white surface. And so then the uh, emphasis comes on, um, you know, how could something like this happen? But also then, oh, these poor sympathetic 
um, parents right. who just happened to invite a sociopath into their house rather mm -hmm. than they contributed possibly to a situation that went batshit crazy and insanely horror horrifying. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Took me three tries to get that word out, but here we are. Um, so, so yeah, so I, the sociopath is, is this sort of narrative black hole because they don't have to be, they have no context. They don't have to be understandable or sympathetic. Right. It just becomes like this, you know, like a, like a catalyst that you throw into a thing because you're fucking lazy and you can't write a plot, I guess. Right. Yeah. Did you read that book about Columbine, which is called Columbine? Uh, um, I, I tried. Yeah. Uh, it also ends up in the same place where he's just like, well, I guess they were just kind of like naturally evil yeah. in a way that sort of suggests that maybe someone should have drowned these children at birth and like that was, and it's not like, I think the other issue is that people don't know how to give a complex account of like a a bad person basically. Yeah. Um, without sounding like they are sympathizing with that person or excusing like you right. know if you went yeah. and challenged the the perfect nanny woman she might be like well but i don't want to like humanize someone who stabs two children to death it's like okay but then why write a novel about them right exactly and also it was a human who did it yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a shapeshifter <laughs> it wasn't you know a cow yeah it wasn't a cow um and it wasn't a self-driving car. It was a person who did that. And you know, even reading the sort of um, um, news reports of the, of the real life case, like the journalists went out of their way to dehumanize this woman mm -hmm. just in the way that they would write about her physical description or anything like that. And of course I understand that impulse because she did something um, just way beyond bounds of what we consider humane but she was a, she was a human yeah. um and you know it's weird how we're sort of um we're attracted to kind of roguish um sociopathic men um to a point um i'm thinking of you know like how many seasons did fucking house run that <laughs> you know, on television <laughs> Many, um, <laughs> many, 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 or, you know, or Hannibal, you know, but he would only kill people who deserved it. Right. Yeah. He, so um, to a point, we find it uh, tantalizing. But once it tips over some sort of edge of like taste, mm -hmm. um, then it becomes no, we're not. We can't possibly investigate this or think about it or or. Uh, try to understand it because it's just it right. can't be done. Actually, the line that killing Eve does not cross, now that I think about it, is killing children, right? That's like very pointedly because there is there's like that whole point toward the end where she's just being tagged along by with this little kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was never really worried that the child was going to die. Yeah. So it's like it's not going to do that because Villanelle has to be cute yeah in some way and like pretty, all of this, yeah. very pretty yeah. yeah like ultimately all of this is supposed to be endearing to us as viewers and it won't like the moment that she kills a dog or she kills a child like that will just stop being true yeah so um but 
Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not sure what the... You know, like, we could just have movies about good people who have conflicts with each other. Like, we could we could do that. That's a real story. Or, um, but if we want to do... European. <laughs> just yeah. European from now on. <laughs> uh, but if we want to do, like, evil, I just don't understand the point of... Partly, I just don't understand why the people writing this aren't as bored as I am, like, reading it yeah. or watching it. Like, yeah. You know, and... You don't even have to make, this is going back to the novels, but somebody doesn't have to be a sociopath to be a social climber, right? Like, mm. <laughs> um, you know, there are very obvious things that they might want out of life that could be motivating this, but instead it's almost like they just get this pure joy from playing the system. Yeah. Uh, that surpasses money. Yeah, and that's really, I mean, what would that implicate? Um, I mean, then would other people have to, uh, like, would the viewer or the reader be, you know, implicated in their own sort of blind ambitions? You know, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking of, like, I don't know why I keep thinking about this, but uh, in uh, Budapest, there's um, the House of Terror. Mm -hmm. And the final room in the House of Terror is pictures of uh, official state collaborators, people who mm -hmm. collaborated with um, the communist regime. And it doesn't give them any context. It doesn't give them like their circumstances right. or how they were maybe coerced or what deprivations they were suffering or whatever. No context whatsoever, just their picture as if this is, you know, this is, this is shaming, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was just, it just felt so empty. It's, you know, it's really easy to condemn now, um, of course, but the people who were probably condemning now would have been fucking collaborators during the right. situation too. So, um, yeah, so obviously there's this, uh, there's a kind of need to remove the context so that you can render judgment and you don't have to think about your own shit. Um, but um, that's not, that's not an act of radical empathy. That's not, uh, it's a total failure of imagination. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're, if we're writers, we should be able to imagine things, um, but it seems really limited at the moment. Yeah. Um, and if you want to write about, like a woman who's unlikable and ambitious and stuff, like have her want something. It's like, this might just be a failure of my own imagination. I don't really understand people who are ambitious, but like Me in an abstract it's way. so tiring. <laughs> yeah. And so when I read a novel that's just full of ambitious people who don't actually want anything, like I'm like, is this, do these people exist? I'm sure that they do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, like, uh, you know, I, I picked, like, the first book that I read that really set me off this way just came out now called Social Creature mm. by Tara Isabella Burton, uh, who writes for Fox. She's a religion reporter. Mm. And it's, like, this very poor girl runs into this rich Ivy League burnout socialite and they become immediate best friends until she like does something that makes the socialite mad at her and then she's gonna get kicked out but uh 
spoilers, um, she instead murders the socialite and then pretends that she went to rehab and takes pictures of herself in the socialite's clothes, like for Instagram and stuff, sure. while continuing to live off her money. All right. And um, like, you know, this is going to happen the moment you pick the book up, both because it tells you that the girl will die, but also because all the marketing is like, it's like the talented Mr. Ripley meets Gone Girl. It's like, uh, okay. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> But then, like, the whole rest of the book is kind of her spending this money and, like, playing these people and so on. And I just kind of mean, like, what? Why? Yeah. Like, why not cash out and leave? Yeah. Why not, like, why try and get, like, high status in this community of Ivy League burnouts? Like, why is that? Why are, why are you staying here doing that? Um what do you actually want out of life that you killed somebody? You know, like, like, yeah. and they're just not, um, and so this, the second one that I'm reading now, the one with the, <laughs> the bath bubbles and the urine and all that, like, yeah. I thought that this was gonna provide me with that because this person had some kind of family connection, but it's the same kind of, like, there really isn't, they're yeah. still not that. Um, well, with, you know, I mean, the talented Mr. Ripley um, comparison is kind of hilarious because I mean, the reason Patricia Highsmith wrote Sociopaths <laughs> so well was because she was a fucking sociopath, <laughs> right? Like right. she she sort of understood and, you know, there's something in Ripley's ambition that you understand implicitly yeah. to, of why he's doing what he's doing. Which brings me to like... Another complaint, I swear to God that I like some books. I swear <laughs> that I do. But this other complaint I have about women's writing at the moment um, is this inability to grapple with real darkness. Mm -hmm. So it's like this kind of um, like performance of darkness that has no grounding in reality. So it becomes like like melodrama. And right. like at Tampa, the... Um, um, Alyssa Nutting, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with, like, the sex offender lady? Yeah, the yeah. predatory teacher. Yeah. Which none of that rang true. And it just mm -hmm. felt like she was sitting there thinking, like, how do I like, how do I just make this more? Like, what right. new crazy batshit thing can I think of? That? And um, the other thing is, like, Fates and Furies, the Lauren Groff. I tried to read that, but could not. It's the... Uh, <laughs> I feel bad... <laughs> I feel I like her. Uh, I feel bad, and the first I thought the first half of the book was pretty good, but the second half of the book, which which is like I mean, she's essentially doing the same thing of like retelling the genius uh, artist marriage, um, retelling it from the woman's perspective mm -hmm. in Fates and Furies. So it's thematical. We're coming back around to our original idea. Yeah. Um, but in it, like she can't figure out why this woman would be. Um, not evil, but scheming and, you know, sort of, um, I don't know the word that I would use. It's not quite sociopathic. Lady the, Macbeth. The yeah, it's a little Lady Macbeth. Okay. So she's like trying to understand, you know, well, well, what, you know, would have happened to her in her childhood. Mm -hmm. The problem is, I don't think she, this is terrible. I don't think she's had anything bad happened to her maybe in her life okay so she doesn't understand how trauma works so the things she just keeps piling on trauma <laughs> after trauma so it's like okay so 
she's like rejected by her parents she accidentally kills her brother she's raped by an uncle like all the and she has to become a prostitute like all this stuff it's just like that, that that's not how trauma works <laughs> <laughs> and also if one thing bad happens to you a million bad things don't happen to you right it's like a little hole that just sort of grows and grows as you get older. It's not like a constant stabbing of holes into your, like, it was just so bizarre. And it just seemed to me, oh, this woman, nothing is bad, nothing bad has ever happened to her. And so she doesn't understand darkness. So she's just going to throw everything at it to try to make this woman understandable. Um, which is a little, it's a little crazy. Yeah, it's pretty over the top. I feel bad saying these things, but um, the first half of the book I thought was pretty good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this also reminds me, did you read back in the beginning of Me Too? I cannot remember this woman's name. Claire something. She has a memoir called Love and Trouble, but anyway, she wrote this piece for the Paris Review, and it was all like... Is it okay for me to like Woody Allen? Basically. Oh God, that piece. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking up her name. Um. What was really weird about it to me was this bit where she was like, "Well, I've never molested any children, but sometimes I ignore my children to work. So in that way, <laughs> am I not also evil?" It's like. No, no. <laughs> like, like if that's the worst thing you can think that you've done to somebody, either you're actually not thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you, if you thought a little harder, you could find something there. Yeah, or like you're just a human saint of some kind, and like to the point where you think setting a boundary is doing somebody harm, which and is actually not saintly. I don't know what I would call that, but um, I have no interest in reading the books of somebody who the worst thing that they can think of that they did is that they set limits on their children to, yeah. so that they could write. Like, I'm not going to read that person's <laughs> book. Right. And, uh, and I read her memoir, although now I can't remember anything about it except mm. some passage where she's talking about cooking and she's like, if you're 40 and you're not a good cook, it says something about you. I don't Does it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, it was just, it was like, women need to own up to like the ways in which they're bad too. It's like, yeah, but this is not, no, like not that. No. Yes. In general. Yeah. <laughs> Ascent to principle, but like, uh, but it's like you have these, it's like either you're bad for like breathing air that somebody else could have breathed or you have to be bad in this kind of like shoved your best friend off a building, like seduced her boyfriend and like stole Wore her, her identity. Yeah, and, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's like those are the, those are the two. Um, <laughs> the two forms of female evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and most of us are not bad in the, like, the things we do are worse but shabbier. Yeah. That's like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to, I feel like I'm looking for complicated women and instead I'm finding strong women, right? I'm finding, right. you know, um, 
these very sort of basic stereotypes of what womanhood is supposed to be or and and it's just that now these stereotypes are written by women instead of by men and i find that alarming yeah Um, i think it's just as limited and just as self-serving to present these sorts of ideas and um you know i'm not finding I mean, I find it by the shit ton in Europe, mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Yelenik is still with us. <laughs> we should all be deeply grateful for that. Um, but uh, American women are not, I'm not finding it there. And apparently Ireland is also having a problem with this. Yeah, no, Irish literature has been pretty reliably like hit for me. And I really thought this would be too. But unless it like really turns around in the last half, Mm. which it won't i can't believe you're gonna finish it i can't uh well there's a train ride back home you know (laughs) (laughs) but uh but this does actually i think give me a a segue into the the third thing or um the two things that i have actually been reading sort of obsessively in a kind of like when i get really angry these are the things that i read or they like they feel like they give me space are Joanna Russ after you recommended her. My, yeah, my love. Yeah. And all of these medieval mystic women. Yeah. Um, like Catherine of Siena and uh, Hadevik, I think is how you say her name. Uh, don't, don't and ask me. all these people. <laughs> um, and, uh, and one thing I like about Joanna Russ, this is part of the bridge, but like, um, is that she does not, She's definitely on her women characters' side, always. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't ever make excuses for them, and she doesn't expect them to like each other. So in the two of them, which I think is actually my favorite, Mm -hmm. um, it's like the woman main character, A, like, has this very disturbing anti-Semitic outburst at one point in the novel against her first boyfriend, who's also, like, a toad. But... But you sort of see, like, there's a moment where she sees a stick that he doesn't have and she uses it and it's very ugly. And then, like, later she basically kills her partner. Um, and you're like, he, like, he's not that bad, but he does have to die. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, but you, you can't really feel awesome about it um, or you can't for very long because you think about, like, the ways that he's been a good partner, even though right now he's not. Um, and it's just like, well, he just has to die. That's just what has to happen for like things to progress. Uh, but it's not going to be like the violence isn't going to be clean for you for that reason. You're not going to be like, oh, it's okay. Then it's still like uncomfortable and it's still violent. Um, and I think that quality, some other things give me this sense of space in the book where it's like, you really are telling a new and different kind of a story where the focus is on different things, like where the focus actually is kind of on the women and how they're navigating things and what they want out of life and not them as like superheroes or them as victims or them as like, you know, it's um, without downplaying like the the patriarchal stuff that they have to deal with and so on. Um, This is also what I like about especially like Catherine of Siena, who I've been like extremely like laser obsessed with, um, is that like, 
you know, medieval piety, you have this kind of situation where um, the Eucharist is mostly removed from the laity, and so you get this intense Eucharistic adoration because people can no longer receive it often. Mm -hmm. But then, like, what Catherine basically does is she forces her way into a tertiary order of a religious order, but she does not become a nun because then she'd have to be cloistered. So she gets the habit, but doesn't have to become a nun. And apparently seriously considered cross-dressing just to join Aww. a monastic order. Um, uh, and then basically embarks on this public life uh, in which she like is a lay person, but receives the Eucharist all the time and like leads what is basically her own religious order. Um, involves herself in affairs, whether people want her to or not. But it's all very like, this is what she is doing because it's what she thinks she has to do to like get closer to God. Like, yeah. And she will arrange everything in her life around this, no matter what she has to do to make this happen. Including like trying, like negotiating to get the Pope back in Rome, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, she's like, it's like international <laughs> diplomacy as yeah. well is involved uh, in all of this, yeah. Yeah, and so like, uh, and she won't eat if you know. And like when people try to make her eat, she's just like, "Oh, I just, I just can't. I don't know why." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I don't like, like you know. I obviously there's a part of me that wants to time travel and be like, eat a sandwich. Yeah. But like, yeah. um, there's something about this kind of, especially with these women who have this extreme physical piety like this one woman who drives a nail through her hand to like feel what the crucifixion was like or whatever yeah and it's like <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's this way in which they there's like all of this stuff that's kind of meant it's like if you're gonna be a nun you have to be cloistered you can't leave like if you're gonna do this and they just sort of find it's like well i always have my body and I can use my body to get closer to God. And if that means not eating or if it means licking my cell clean or like dripping hot wax on myself or driving a nail through my hand, like that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Stinging nettles. Yeah. And, yeah. All that shit. And it's terrifying. Yeah. But there's something about the way that it's not. It's genuinely not for the spectator in this interesting way to meet like. Yeah. It's not this kind of, uh, well, we were talking about this before the podcast started, but this piece about the desert mothers that was like virginity was the ultimate power play at this time because like, you know, not having money and not having sex were like the way to be the most powerful and living in the desert and never talking to anyone. Yeah, that's some real <laughs> fucking power, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, well... Yeah, like, like this is, I guess you could call it opting out. Like, that's a way to think about it. But it, it's, it's actually, it is a new story. Like, that's what you're actually getting. You're getting a new story or a new script or something yeah. where these, the motivations are not about men. Yeah. Like, they're an obstacle you have to work with, whatever. But, like, it's not about them, ultimately. But we keep trying to turn it back into that. Because yeah. whenever, so often when I read about, like uh, current accounts of these women, 
it's done in the, these really simplified, stupid ways of like, I, you know, reading about St. Catherine. I can't remember the, the, it's like some contemporary, young contemporary writer writing about St. Catherine of Siena and her refusal to eat as being a form of anorexia. Right. Like, but, and she was relating it to it because she, she also suffered also suffered from anorexia as a teenager. And so mm-hmm. she's trying to relate to her on a personal level. It's like, okay, but can we, can we talk about women in a way that's not about relatability and likability and, and how we're all the, you know, it, it's, it, it's a very simplistic um, way of thinking about this as if these women don't have their own context, as if you think that you are on the same level as St. Catherine of right. Siena. You know, um, by the way, I went to Siena uh, a couple of years ago oh. and I went and I saw St. Catherine's mummified head ah. and I burst into tears. It was the weirdest thing. And then there were all these like priests walking <laughs> through the cathedral, like, what the f- who's this? <laughs> it I was went good. to Siena a long time ago, but before I had any interest in Catherine, so I need to go back now. Uh, you do. But, um, and I mean, she also like, the CNEs did not like her at the time very much for like many reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just finished reading this newish biography of her that just got translated. And the guy opens by basically being like, nobody likes her. You're a bunch of quotes of a, from people about how much they hate her. I don't like her either. <laughs> Is this a, a world on Fires? No. Because there was two, right? Yeah, this guy's name is Andre Vachez or something. It's like translated in May. Okay. And so like a lot of it's just like, wow, she just had this really off-putting personality. It's like, okay, but like, I don't, I mean, actually, that's what I like about her is this kind of off-putting quality. But like, yeah. And also, I mean, with the anorexia thing, you also have these aspects where these women like go to minister to people who are sick in like very disgusting ways, like lepers and so on. And um, this is not a story about Catherine, though there is a story about this like her, but it's like this woman washes all the lepers and then drinks the water. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's or like there was one there was one woman who like cleaned their sores with her tongue. That's Catherine. Yeah. Was yeah. it Catherine? OK, uh, yeah, there you go. And that's like also, again, it brings the body into it in this yeah. kind of like, you're not less human than me and I'm gonna demonstrate it by like eating your sickness or whatever, which yeah. is extremely gross, but like, <laughs> but yeah. it's just not the same thing as, you know, if someone did that to me now with like, I don't know, my mosquito bite or whatever, like that would be weird and alarming Yeah, because the context is different. Yeah. But um But yeah, no, I really disliked Holy Anorexia, which is I think the book that made calling these women anorexics popular. Yeah. Um and there's another It's not a book entirely about them, but there's this book by this from the 60s called Very Peculiar People, <laughs> which has a chapter <laughs> on um St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, uh, who is very, like, she's she's later than all the rest of them, so she's sort of following a script at this point, and she's much more extreme, like, uh, 
she would lie down in doorways and ask her fellow nuns to step on her. Oh my God, these ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like the whole thing is all like, well, obviously she was like this because she was a neurotic woman who just needed a husband to like have sex with her and stick her with children. And instead she joined a convent. It's just full of neurotic sex starved women. And so obviously they were all nuts. Yeah. That's just like, that's like the level of analysis in the book. It's like, so obviously she didn't eat because like she wasn't getting laid. Yeah. And she had to hit herself with thorns all the time because she wasn't kidding. It's just kind of like this reiteration. Like if only she'd had a husband to control her and give her a lot of children. Yeah. Uh, But that doesn't actually feel that different for me. That kind of condescension from reading stuff like virginity is a power play. Like both of them just kind of make it about whether or not you're having sex with men and not anything else yeah i mean i see weird um parallels in sort of women's storytelling like this all the time though of um wanting to make women normal wanting to you know wanting to write a female character who's not complicated but who is (laughs) who's normal and taken care of and supported and understood. Um, I, I'm currently writing about this new show, Dietland, um, oh, yeah. about this uh, overweight woman um, who, of course, every man secretly loves her mm-hmm. and because this is the only fucking thing we can think of to do is like, well, okay, so she's socially isolated and unhappy and overweight and struggling with body issues, but we have to make her safe somehow or we, you know, we can't, if we totally isolate her, then we're, we're thinking that we're judging her or something. Yeah. And so we have to, we have to keep like bestowing value on her through making men actually love her, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you've like, you know, People do actually experience um, social isolation and alienation and unfuckability and loneliness and despair. Like, and it's fine. And why can't we just why why can't we have that complication sh- right. complicated shit in our stories? And I think I think my sort of prevailing argument that that I keep coming back to is that the world is really complicated, but the stories we're telling aren't right. Yeah. And the world is changing, but the stories aren't. And so there's no sort of imaginative assistance to how we get out of this disaster area of a society. Right. right. It's just um, we're we have no new ideas because everybody is scared. But it's our job as writers to have new ideas. <laughs> so fucking do your jobs. That's <laughs> all right. That's is that the end of the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.